Section 18 of The King of Alsander by James Elroy Flecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 18 The Poet Visits Blandon Once More and Takes John Gaffigan to the Seashore Where a Miracle Occurs. Les hommes aux ouverts, sous la qui aime la mer, la mer immense, tumultueuse et verte, l'eau en forme et multiforme. Baudelaire Vives autem beautus, vives in mea tutela gloriosus, et cum spatium secoli tui permensus ad inferos de meris ibiquoque in ipso subterraneo semi-rotundo me. Videbis acarontis tenebris interlucentum, stigi isque penetralibus regnantem. Isis to Lucius in The Golden Ass John Gaffigan, weary of this world, left his invalid mother asleep in charge of the nurse and walked down into Blandon after a miserable meal. His mother's health was worse, his prospects gloomy, his life had become very friendless since Norman went abroad. From this latter, moreover, he had had no news for months. The night was clear and pleasant, but to a lonely man the far-shining brilliance of the Blandon arms appeared more pleasant still, and so he turned on his heel and swung in through the unaccustomed door. "'Why, bless me, Mr. Gaffigan,' said Nancy. "'It's a long time since you've been in.' it is indeed nancy how's life oh just as usual mr gaffigan thank you have you heard from mr price again not a word said john not a single word since last summer now that's odd sir said peter smith very odd i tell you what said thomas bodkin the sexton with prodigious wisdom he's fallen in love it wasn't much that sort, Mr. Bodkin, said Nancy with a little sigh. It pleased her to imagine that her heart was broken. Damned silly, said old Canthrop. Damned silly, never told his father. And the old man's so cut up about it, said Peter Smith. Yes, said John. Didn't get back to business for nearly a week. Ah, it's curious to think of him so far away, said Nancy. Out there in Alsander, that is, if, if he wasn't killed in the row. Ah, if, said the sexton, ominously. The Daily Mail had contained, one day a few months ago, a small paragraph which had caused quite an excitement in the village of Blandon, reporting considerable fermentation in the little state of Alsander. But the succeeding numbers had no further information on the subject being well stocked with letters answering the grave question, Is the stage immoral? which the great paper had proposed to itself with typical earnestness and audacity. The inhabitants of Blandon, however, were not deterred by the meagreness of the data from an almost daily discussion as to whether their fellow townsmen had perished. You cheer up, Nancy, said John Oggs, who was the sexton's opponent in the controversy. Price is all right, and he'll turn up again one of these days, all boiled yellow by the sun. What a strange thing life is, said Nancy. A strange thing indeed, 
said old Canthrop. A strange thing. The sun makes one red, not yellow, said the sexton. But it's small colour he's showing now, poor boy, I can tell you. In them foreign parts, knives ain't reserved for cheese, and he'd have written for sure. Ah, Sexton, said John, to escape the perpetual topic. I can see you're a man of ideas. Well, Mr. Gaffigan, I may not have been to Oxford, as I say, but I does think. As I said to Parson once before a burial, You and I, sir, I said, are thinking men. It goes with the business. That must be dreadful work, said John Oggs. Digging holes for dead men. Well, we must all go under. Aye, indeed, said old Canthrop. Don't speak from the bottom of your throat like that said Peter Smith. It gives me the horrors with all this talk about death and all. Death should not give anyone the horrors, said the sexton, who attended church regularly. It is but the portal of a better life beyond. But it's rather nice to have the horrors sometimes, came Nancy's voice from behind the bar. I wonder why. Not but what continued the sexton it is not excusable now for me for my work is very sad and awesome indeed the sexton had never before been so impressed with the conversational advantage of his lugubrious occupation and he determined to make up for lost opportunities i believe you sexton said peter smith some of them as i've buried was all young and blooming and others were ever so old nearly as old as canthrop yonder don't talk like that said the patriarch hoarsely you make me afeard i oh, wonder what it is to-night said a labourer in the corner who had hitherto drunk in silence that makes you all talk as if you couldn't say what you meant perhaps a man is being hanged said the sexton poor fellow said nancy i feel queer to-night drawled old canthrop but i don't know why that is what is it makes it so the moon old man the moon the company started with fear at the sound of this strange voice turned around and with blanched faces beheld the figure of an old man framed in the doorway, with a silver light creeping along his hoary beard and over his unprecedented clothes. For the stranger was clothed in what appeared to be a white woollen dressing gown with a purple border, and he had sandals on his feet. He wore no hat, and his snowy hair waved gently in the radiance of the gaslight. He walked forward amid a dead silence, and laid his hand on old Canthrop's shoulder. Yes, old comrade in a life of folly, he cried. The moon is full to-night, and you know it is her fault. Hers are the fiery drops that make your eyes water and my eyes shine. I, to whom she has revealed her secret springs of knowledge and beauty, you, 
who have not fifty words to your tongue i who feel her gentle influence pervading forest and meadow tower and town you who feel only the terror of her nocturnal power that brings you to your fellows you the village dotard i the king of the world we have one mother old man and that's the moon you see and fear the great white spaces that flit before your eyes i know and love her cloudy caverns of mystery and wonder who are you whispered old canthrop go away a minute a minute i am what you will death destiny a poet is john gaffikin here are you began john i am the same ask nothing more my dear a drink round to all for our farewell the poet looked round smiling at the solemn and pale faces at the trembling hands of those that proposed his health then linking his arm through john's he took him out into the street come with me said the poet we will go to old william price's shop after five minutes walk in a silence which john gaffigan somehow did not wish to break they arrived outside the little square brick house which was dark silent and shuttered fast in front of it the last gas lamp in bland and glimmered in the wind-driven moon rays call the old man ordered the poet john gaffigan banged violently at the door and shouted mr price mr price ay what's up the juice and all came a loud but sleepy voice from the first floor a match was struck a light glimmered through the bars the shutters creaked open and old mr price popped his nightcap out of the window news from your son cried the poet cheerfully ay is that anything to jump a man up for in the dead of night retorted the old man cursing under his breath oh he was feared of a smoky black beggar in fire at the least oh, he was what the devil do i care about the young rip he owes me a hundred pound he do and i wrote him but he never sent back a penny nor a postcard you're a nice pretty father exclaimed the poet i've got your hundred in my pocket i'll come down to you and mr gaffigan said william price very civilly no you won't retorted the poet you should have come down before you'll stay right where you are and answer me some questions i have in my head to ask you and if you budge from that window you shan't have a groat nor a tizzy of all your hundred pounds it's cold here grumbled mr price churlishly flapping his arms across his chest what do you want to know why first of all tell me why you never go out of nights cried the poet what's that to you bawled back the old man and tell me tell me william price who was the mother of your son the poet shouted what in hell or under is that to you came in very full-throated accents from the open window why is your bedstead all made of wood thundered the relentless poet in stentorian tones hey stop that cried the voice from the window but the poet continued his questions unperturbed why have you half forgotten your own son william price 
why do you sleep all day father william and pretend to be more stupid than the grave do you think a poet cannot see through the film you cast over your happy eyes eh what are you driving at exclaimed mr price in a voice no longer angry but rather tremulous who are your guests to-night old man who are your guests to-night yelled the poet positively dancing with malicious satisfaction why be you one of them that know cried the old man in a new tone of something like awe and something like fellowship i am one of the chief of those that know replied the poet for me shutters unbar for me the music pipes and even my companion for all he can wrap his soul up in the wisdom of oxford town shall see the fairies haunting what said john but the poet urbanely continued i am forgetting those hundred pounds and taking out a sheaf of banknotes from a vast white pocket like a snow cavern he crumpled them into a ball and hurled them at one of the barred shutters the shutter opened to let the packet pass money my friend observed the poet tranquilly opens all doors a soft peal of very quiet laughter filled the little house and all the other shutters opened to a thin music room after room flashed into light as though so many plays were starting on so many miniature stages with all the shadows flying to the roof and one by one the half-naked little women of the wild crept out of hiding and began their dance and through it all as though it meant nothing for him though his room was flashing from hue to hue like a transformation scene and an enchanting person had her arms round his neck old price bawled down well what of norman he has become king of that country and wedded to its queen roared the poet i always said he was a sound practical fellow without an idea in his head remarked william price with serene philosophy like most of the half race assented the poet but we have filled his bottle with luck trilled the silvery lady upstairs and his countenance with beauty replied the poet well we really must be off now good-bye to you all and a pleasant evening laughing good-byes rippled back at him from all over the house like the jingling of toy harness bells let us walk down to the sea said the poet turning to go how far is it to the sea john ten miles and by which road straight on ah yes said the poet setting off at a swinging pace it is the road by which first i came to blandon but before they had gone many yards john heard his name called and stood still down through the moonlight glided as it might be a wingless angel and by his side there stood the fairy of the upper window john she said when you see my son again give him this kiss and kissing him she floated away the poet who had gone ahead waited for john to come up but i must go back to my mother the young man protested as though a glimpse of the unmagical past had driven a sword through his mind she is very ill 
I fear she will die within the week, replied the poet. But I inquired at your house on the way to the Blaindon Arms, and learnt that to-night she is happily asleep, and will not need you. When you are alone in the world, John, you must go to Norman to give him his mother's kiss, and help him through days of trouble. It's no easy game, even in a little country, even with a born queen, even with the immortals helping, the game of king. He said no more. The two went on together on the road leading to the sea, without another word, for miles. John dared not speak. He was half delirious with the silence, the dread prediction of his mother's death. The wild story about his friend rang in his ears. The house of the fairies danced before his eyes, and he feared his fateful companion. The wizard forms of the hedges threatened John Gaffigan. The harvest moon, golden and vast, seemed to shine hot upon his hatless brow. He kept comparing the trickling of the roadside brook to the trickling of the little thoughts in his head. He could not get rid of this grotesque comparison and grew more afraid. At last the poet broke the silence. Are you lonely, John? he said. Or have you found women after your desire? Women? said John. I never cared for any woman but for my mother. I have one friend far away, of whom you tell me news I cannot understand. I have known many men at Oxford, good athletes or great wits, but I shall never make another friend like him. I shall certainly seek him out, if what you predict falls true. I am indeed lonely. They were silent again. They had now come to brackish marshes, and to a land of dizzy vapours. The wind blew harder from the sea, singing like a hero, bringing with it a salt and pungent odour. The poet linked his arm with the young man's, as though to protect him from the evil spells of night. "'Take heart, my friend,' said he. "'You have years of glorious life before you, and it is a splendid night for visions.' John suddenly stopped, swung round to face the old man, and began speaking hurriedly, gasping for breath before each phrase. "'What has happened?' he cried. "'Why am I here? Who are you? An hour or two ago I was just an unhappy man, rather lonely, with a mother lying ill. Now you tell me my mother will die, and you tell me news about my friend, too wild for a sober man to repeat. You have already shown me that which I feared to see, and now, as though it were not sufficient, you say the night is propitious for visions. I am so distressed in mind that I cannot talk properly. The words get inverted, the world reels like a decadence dream. My head is turning with it, and I keep on feeling a sort of brook trickling what are you doing in that white coat who are you tell me who you are john raised his voice to the pitch of anger at the end wrath that this mysterious being should cross his path fantasia non homo be calm my friend all is well you are not used to the extensions of reality that is all i do not want to take advantage of the night Behold, we have arrived at the seashore. Leave me now, friend of Norman. Go on to that distant rock and watch. You may see what is to be seen, but do not profane 
the silence of the moonlight. And he waved his hands in front of John's bewildered eyes as he chanted low the injunction. John obeyed him as by constraint and watched from a rock some hundred yards away. The old man made ablutions in the sea and began to intone his prayer. Thou who appearest in the waves of water, of wind and of fire, Queen who with special majesty dost sway the minds of men, the beasts and cattle, and all the moving substance of the thundering world, appear to me, be mine, be myself. Show the lucid sign upon thy brows, grant me the reward for faithful service, let me hear once again from those immortal lips thy ancient promise, that in the pit of Acheron, yea, even there thou wilt be shining among the thoughtless dead. Thou art and art not the great Cytherean, mother of the world. Thou art and art not Artemis, the virgin of the forests, the huntress. Thou art and art not Pallas, to whom the snake has told his story. Thou art and art not her to whom sailors pray in the still waters of the middle sea. It may be the Egyptians knew thee by thy name. It may be thou art the mother of Christians in the south. Thou art in me, but thou art not what I am. I salute thee. John saw the old man fling off his white mantle. An instant after, it was in flames. Then he thought he saw him rise naked among the flames, and run toward the sea with a silver disk shining on his breast, and he began to swim out along the track of the moon. Then he saw the great full moon burst into a shower of stars and fall into the sea, and a white woman rose, huge and glorious, from the waves, with a horned helmet on her brow, and spread across the sky like light, till she filled the world. Then the treble octave was sounded all through the universe, and he fell senseless. He awoke hours later, but saw nothing save a wet sea rolling in the dawn. End of chapter 18 End of The King of Alsander by James Elroy Flecker John Oggs, Norman Price and Labourer Read by Phil Benson Mrs. Gafferkin, Nancy, Perronella, Malsprita, Crowd, and Guard. Read by Michelle Eaton. Vicar, Old Man, William Price, Canthrop, Cesano, Wizened Man, Consul, Vorza, and Colonel. Read by Patrick Wallace. Vicar's Daughter, Shopkeeper, President, Arnolfo, Ianthe, Widow Prusco, Drakina, Kuvas, Peter Smith, and Lady. Read by Eden Ray Hedrick. John Gafferkin, Thomas Bodkin, King, Butler, Doctor, Clark, Makzelo, Father Algio, and Captain of the Guard. Read by Alan Wayman. 
Count Arnolfo, Shoemaker, and Narrator. Read by Algie Pug.